Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am delighted to be here with an incredible guest for you today, Debbie Rever. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Christine. How are you? Good, good. I am, have been excited about this conversation since you and I hopped on the mic. I mean, actually, it's been a long time coming, but you and I got to chat on your podcast recently, and that was such a delightful conversation that I've been sort of chomping at the bit to get you on the mic on my podcast. So hello. I'm so glad you're here today. I am too. Yeah, I love that conversation too, and I think we have a lot to talk about. We have tons to talk about. Well, I'll just quickly tell listeners, you are a parenting activist, you are a best-selling author, and you have an incredible book called Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. That's kind of the springboard for our conversation today. You have a podcast, you're a podcast host, you're a speaker, you organize, you know, online parenting webinars, and you do all the things. <laughs> and, and Debbie, I've often joked with just between you and I, that I feel like we're so similar from an execution standpoint, because hello, we both love project plans and spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. But I also feel very similar in how we approach content in life in terms of being really passionate about creating resources, especially when existing ones are, are lacking. So I really wanted to start in, you have this website, Tilt Parenting, you have your differently wired book, and I wanted to start with the differently wired framing. And just because I love the way you explain this, and I would like you to introduce the perception of deficits versus differences for our listeners today. Yeah, well, thank you for that intro. And yes, I agree with you. We are deep divers, and then we like to share what we learn. And that is the way I've always kind of shown up in my work. And that's how I came to you know, create tilt parenting and think about this idea of differently wired. So maybe I should just define what I mean by that. And then I can talk about. The yeah, framing. absolutely. So, I, you know, just kind of background, I'm the parent of a now 17 year old neurodivergent kiddo 
who has a lot of, you know, a neuro neurological goodies going on, ADHD gifted, some sensory issues, a lot going on. And when my child was younger, I was just struggling so much to find resources and so much of the language that defined or described what was happening with my child and labels that were associated with some of the learning differences were so negative that it mm-hmm. was very patholog- pathologized disorders and just really looking at differences from a deficit point of view, like this is a problem that mm-hmm. needs to be fixed. And I had a problem with that because yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel great as a parent. And I also didn't see my child as being disordered. I saw my child as having a brain that that meant that they experienced the world in a unique and different way that isn't necessarily accommodated by society or schools. But there are so many strengths with the way that neurodivergent people show up and what they bring to the table. And so when I was thinking about developing tilt parenting and wanting to create a resource for parents, this idea of really trying to get some language popularized that was focused on strengths, that was recognizing that there are differences, mm-hmm. but that differences don't have to be a negative. There's something that we want to understand and support and accommodate so that neurodivergent people can actually leverage the incredible strengths that they have. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And it, it's, um, it's worth noting that you and I actually, you are one of these people that I've met during the pandemic where we haven't actually met in person yet. <laughs> and so when I first met you and then had a chance to dive into your work, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the person who coined this phrase. <laughs> like, um, So it's just, it's such an incredible gift, I feel like. And I, I think that's probably, I can only imagine the number of parents who are feeling similarly to you having that reaction of like, wait a second, why is the narrative like this? And let's change this. So I imagine that's why, I mean, your tilt, commun- tilt parenting community is is pretty robust. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it really took off right away. And I think in part because I gave voice to something that so many parents were feeling and mm. we tend to be really isolated in our experiences and people, there's so much stigma around, you know, labels and learning disabilities and all of these things. And so parents often are suffering in silence. So when I kind of put tilt out into the world and gave voice to what so many parents were feeling. And that language of differently wired really, really resonated. Mm -hmm. It kind of took off. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, one of the things that you address in your book is something that is often discussed on this show. And it's, it's just one of my favorites. And it's letting go of the shoulds. You wrote, my biggest source of conflict in parenting Asher was my relationship with myself, more specifically, my thinking about what my life as a mom should look like. Let's talk about this a little bit. I would love to hear about this shift. When, you know, what was that moment and how it changed your lens on parenting? Well, just to be clear, it wasn't one moment. I really dragged my feet and fought this for a long time. Mm. I am a very much self-professed control freak. And I'm really someone who is able to problem solve and to, you know, kind of make what I want happen, happen in the world. And so when I found myself raising a child and I couldn't kind of quote unquote fix, you know, 
what was going wrong and what was so tough so that we could kind of get back on my plan and on the path that I wanted to be on. That was a struggle for me. And I really did fight it for quite a while. And what ultimately helped me lean in more to who my child is was we ended up moving abroad and I started homeschooling my child when Mm. third grade. And I, another thing I did not want to do, I was very reluctant homeschool parent, but in doing that, I, I really had to throw everything out the window and I didn't have to be so concerned about what the neighbors were thinking or the PTA was thinking, you know, I just was starting from scratch and I started to get really curious about who my child was and realizing that the path that I was trying to steer us down was a complete mismatch for who my child is, Mm. you know, and their strengths. Like I was really not considering the individual. And so it took a couple of years to really recognize you know, what was going on. But when I did make that shift and more fully leaned into what was going on, everything started to change my relationship with Asher. Life just got easier. And that's not to say it's, you know, it's not all a cakewalk. It's very Mm -hmm. challenging. But I think the biggest source of pain for me was this disconnect between what I wanted things to look like and what they actually did. Absolutely. I mean, I think I often say that part of a big part of the parenting puzzle is entangling our own selves from whatever's happening. And for me, a lot, I have a lot of baggage <laughs> from about things I didn't have as a kid and, and how that impacts now. So I'm glad that you corrected me on that, that that is that it was more like anything else, a longer journey than a single moment. That's really, really important. Um, I want to talk about tilt paradigm shifts. I think like I w- I'm so into this. <laughs> there there are 18 of them in your book. And I would love for you to talk about the power of parenting from a place of possibility instead of fear. That's that's one of the shifts. Um there are, people should I'm just teasing out basically one of them because I think people need to get the book and read them all. But this mantra especially really jumped out at me. I feel like every parent could use this. Yeah, this is really, I say this about so many of the tilts that this is really the most important one, but this one is so foundational because so many of us live life with ongoing fear. And I talk about this in the book that there is a book that I had read in the nineties called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Mm -hmm. Have you read that book? I haven't, but I, it is on my, like one of those, like, I gotta get around to this sometime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just certain pieces of it stuck with me. And one of the things that I took with me is this idea that every decision that we make in our lives is either through a a lens of fear or of love. Like that's it. Those are the two primary experiences. And I, I really challenged that and I found it to be very true. And most of the time, you know, if we're concerned about a choice or making a mistake or, um, not wanting to do something because all of the unknowns and what might happen, we just kind of keep ourselves stuck. And when you're raising a differently wired child, we feel super stuck because we feel like we have very few choices when it comes to school, you know, even trying to find a good summer camp for 
a parent who's got a kid who can be really intense, it's not as easy as signing your kid up for the local zoo camp. You know, it's it everything feels harder. And so we can really start living these very narrow lives where we shut down what might be possible because we're afraid of of making the wrong decision or of traumatizing our child or of moving to a school that could make things even worse. And so, and then also just wondering what's going to happen in the future. I'm so afraid of what this kid's launch is or isn't going to look like. And so in this tilt, I really encourage parents to really put all their fears out on the table, you know, and name them because, you know, as we know, you can't, ban thoughts, we can't mm-hmm. ban our fear and our fear can actually be helpful, right? To, to draw our attention to things we should be um, noticing. And so really kind of identifying those fears and then doing some work to reframe them. And the one that I'll, that I love so much, the tool, it's from a book by Alison Carmen, and she wrote a book called The Gift of Maybe. And just starting to introduce the word maybe into your vocabulary when you have something like this is never going to work or this is always going to be hard or this school is going to be a disaster, you know, we have these kind of awfulizing thoughts. But when we can use that word, maybe it opens us up to possibility. You know, maybe this is exactly the school that my child needs and they're going to make that one friend that's going to change their life. Or maybe this is you know, what we're going through now is exactly what needs to happen. So my child can make this discovery about themselves. So when we can reframe all of those, we can just open up and start to realize there's so much more that's possible than what we first imagined. I love that also because using maybe takes the pressure off, right? You know, I think we also as humans have a tendency to want to say, okay, if I do this, then everything will be better. And then it kind of sets up this terrible, like, you know, system for for not feeling like things are going to work out if they don't work out or feeling bad if they don't work out. And it's reminding me that I feel like this re, this reframing exercise is just so powerful in general. And I encourage people to perhaps, and maybe you talk about this, dig into this a little bit more, but... Um, encourage people to write it down. I had a situation that I was dealing with last year that was very painful and very difficult. And I decided to kind of have a reframing session with myself. And so I wrote down the pain points that were probably, I don't know, five to eight of them or something. And I wrote down what I was angry and upset about. And then in the next column, of course, this is Google Docs. In the next column, I identified how I could reframe that scenario. And everything but one thing i was i was literally in charge of enough to change and that was actually a very empowering moment it took it kind of took all the air out of the balloon a little bit and i thought oh i'm actually i have more agency in this than i thought and it just sounds very parallel to what you've just what you've been talking about yeah i love that process i mean i went to the albert ellis institute as a client which is here in new york and albert ellis was the founder of rational emotive behavioral therapy And that really changed my life. And he talks about coming up with evidence to dispute all of those thoughts. And I love that you wrote them down because I think at our age, we think we should be able to just do this in our head and Mm -hmm. move on. But there is something so powerful about getting it all out, seeing it, being like, okay, I see you, I've got you. (laughs) And I've got some other ways to look at this. And then writing them down is really powerful. 
Yeah. Well, we will talk about print things in just a moment, but uh, Debbie, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll continue the conversation. Are you, like pretty much every parent of younger kids I know, looking for a smart entertainment option for your kids? Designed for kids ages six and up, Mysteries About True Histories, also known as Math, How Smart Is That?, is a weekly podcast full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and humor. And while kids will enjoy the stories anchored around characters like troublesome trolls, pirate queens, and mysterious aunts, adults can benefit too. I admittedly delighted in learning a thing or two about Pythagoras and triangles in one episode. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code-breaking, pattern-solving, and more, all weaving humor in with education to make learning fun. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hello, friends. We are here with the wonderful Debbie Reber, from whom I am learning so much as always. So just before the break, I had hinted about print things or, you know, words in print. We were talking about writing down things and perhaps changing one's narrative And one of the many things that I love about your work is that you have something called the Tilt Creed. I will link it in the show notes. It is, you can download a digital version. Perhaps you could print it. (laughs) Um, But I would love to, I, I would love for you to explain how you developed the Tilt Creed and then perhaps one belief you've been feeling, especially during the pandemic, like one thing you feel like you keep tapping into. Hmm. Well, I'll say a little bit about the development when I was thinking about what Tilt would be. And it's I'm just about at six year anniversary of launching Tilt. But the year prior to that, I really dove into the work of Jonathan Fields. And he at the time, he's the creator of the Good Life Project and Spark a Types book and a lot of resources. And he had created this program called Revolution U, where he guided kind of mission-driven entrepreneurs through a process of creating something using the framework for social change movements, the civil rights movements, you know, movements that were successful in history. And so that really helped me frame what I was trying to do. And as part of that, I reached out and connected with hundreds and hundreds of parents who were also raising differently wired kids just to make sure that it wasn't just me, you know, that Mm. 
these beliefs that I had and the things that were keeping me stuck also would resonate with other people. And so I took a lot of what I learned and I, I wrote both a manifesto and then I created kind of the creed as the top kind of core, putting our stake in the ground. Like these are the things that I know to be true about this parenting journey that we're on. And I wanted it to feel very empowering and very positive. And so when I launched Tilt, that was one of the key pieces of content. So I'm really glad that you found that because it's it, it might be not as uh, visible to people who are new to Tilt Parenting. But I will share the one that is really sticking with me the most is it's uh, the words are remember that your child's story is unwritten. Mm -hmm. And that feels, I mean, that's something I have to think about every day. Honestly, it's, and I think it's, it's relevant for every parent, no matter how your child is wired, but especially now because of COVID, because there's just so much concern and fear about our kids, you know, their, I hate to even use the word learning loss, but, you know, but just, you know, our kids have lost time and our kids are struggling with their mental well-being and all of the things that we're reading about and we're witnessing in our kids. And so when we dwell on that, we can make stories up about what this is going to look like. We can blame ourselves, which is something I'm really good at, uh, for decisions Same. that we may yeah. have made, right? That um, especially if our kids are suffering and they're not doing well. And so this one in particular, as the parent of a, of a teenager who's really struggling right now and has gone through a lot of transitions even before COVID because we repatriated and started in a new city and just so much turmoil, I regularly have to remind myself that the future has not been determined yet. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all part of this human's story. And, yeah. and who am I to say that the decisions I've made or what the past years have been like mean, you know, X, Y, or Z for Asher, you know? And so that reframe of just, you know, no, this is, this is not a done deal. This is my kid's journey. I'm here to cheer them on. I'm here to coach and to guide and support and to love. And the rest is really up to them and it, and anything could happen. Yeah, I agree. And this is reminding me, I I love that. And it is reminding me that if you are a parent who needs like a little bit more, like a shorter runway to think about, our good friend, Tina Payne Bryson, who I consider the genius of all things, and and I want everybody to read all of her things. But I had a, a conversation with her once for an article I was working on where she talked about thinking about your kids' development in something like six to 12 month windows instead. So instead of like, trying to help initiate a change and expecting that to happen right away. You know, think about like, are they, you know, has life improved for them compared to six months ago or 12 months ago? And I just feel like it's such a more reasonable runway compared to, I know we're kind of a, we've grown up in this now immediate gratification kind of culture for a long time, but it just seems more realistic, gives you a little more grace as a parent, gives your kid more space to just be and develop and do the things they need to do. And I just loved her framing on that a lot. That's great. Yeah. Well, speaking of challenges, (laughs) the world is a lot right now in many ways, but I am wondering specifically if you have any advice for families of differently wired kids who are also trying to navigate other inequities, for example, race, gender identity. I know this is a huge 
huge, complicated question. But any top line thoughts on that? Yeah, it is a huge question. And it's something I think a lot about. And, and especially right now, what I'm trying to do is to really support parents in thinking about just the intersectionality of all of the different ways of being, because it used to be right that, you know, we're talking about race or we're talking about gender, we're talking about sexual orientation, we're talking about neurodiversity. And there is so much intersectionality. There are, you know, the the rate of of kids who are exploring gender identity is so much higher for neurodivergent people. We know that kids of color are having a lot of delays in getting recognized or identified as having learning disabilities. Like it, we, there's so yeah. much work that needs to be done in all of these spaces. And so, the first thing that I really want parents to know is that we can't do this work in a vacuum. You know, we have to come, we have to kind of be in it for everybody, not just for, for our, you know, little piece of the pie or the thing that our family is, is struggling with. We have to kind of do this as a collective. And part of that is just finding your people. I mean, I think that's the really good news right now is there's more and more visible visibility to these Mm -hmm. inequities and people really are gathering and in really proactive ways and supportive ways. So finding your community. And then the last thing I would say is just part of this is getting really comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And this is not a comfortable journey. You know, when you're raising a human who, for whatever reason, is not neatly fitting into the box, doesn't have access to the same sorts of supports, is marginalized in any way, we're going to have to work harder to have our kids be seen and supported for who they are. And that can be really uncomfortable. It can be going up against systems. It can be facing hate uh, from horrible people on social media. Mm. It can be just tough. So um, getting comfortable with that discomfort, I think, is something that we we all want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, 
is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, you know, you've just touched actually on or led me to my next question. And I'm envisioning... So I'm envisioning that moment in parenting where you're starting to get like a little twinge of, hmm, like something, you know, something might seem a little different here, or this is different from my friend's experience or whatever it might be. And then I think about how challenging that would be in a school scenario, you know, especially if your kids say most of their peers are kind of continuing on with the, the track that is laid out in a traditional school setting. So what would you say is a key tip or two to advocate for what your kid needs at school? Because I imagine that for a lot of parents that that's a really, it's just uncertain. There's a lot of, it probably a lot of fear around it, a lot of uncertainty. So what would be your kind of charge and your call to action for somebody who's just navigating making asks for the first time? Well, yes. And this, this is something I think a lot about. This was a big pain point for me because I did not want to be that quote unquote, that parent, I didn't Mm -hmm. be that parent. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be seen as a really good mom and you know, that I I'm doing a great job here. And, and so the first thing would be really to stop worrying about being that parent because you already are like, if you have a kid who who's, who is not thriving in a system in a traditional school setting and you're, you're tuned into, to that, you just have to know that, you know, it's about your child and, and making sure that they get the support that they need. So Mm. kind of just own being that parent. And two things I would say, one is there's a lot more wiggle room than we may believe. So don't take no for an answer, especially now coming back after COVID. I think if anything, COVID showed that there are lots of ways to get things done. There's Mm -hmm. lots of ways to demonstrate knowledge. There's lots of ways to participate in school. And so I think this is a really good time. If if we know that there are solutions that would better serve our kids or accommodations, keep asking for them. Keep trying, ask for another IEP meeting, ask for what you want. And and don't take no for an answer. And then the second thing I just want to throw out there too, because I know teachers also are, you know, they're fried right now. Mm-hmm. This is, and I know they're, they want the best for their students too. So I, I talk about compassionately educating. So coming to that relationship with the school, with the teacher, assuming that they have the child's highest, you know, goals in mind and, They just may not have the resources or the information or the time available to them. So we want to approach those conversations 
through a lens of compassion and with an eye toward problem solving mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, digging our heels in and, and getting ready for a fight. Cause I've been there and it's not fun mm-hmm. and it doesn't help push the needle forward. Like I think every time we can successfully advocate for our child or help a teacher understand what ADHD actually looks like or how twice exceptionality might uh, look in this setting, we're paving the way for kids, you know, down the road to be more quickly identified. So we're kind of helping to push the revolution forward, but we have to do it in a compassionate way. I love that. And I really do think that is the most the best, the most effective, the most loving way to get anything done is to just assume, start by assuming the best (laughs) and approach it with compassion. And given also, since we touched on intersectionality earlier, I think it's important to note, since you bring up the educator side, that for all of us, whether it's parent, caregiver, educator, whatever, there are many areas where it's kind of like a new language that a lot of people are learning. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind. Like, we're all in this together and we're learning together and that's how we're going to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Oh my gosh. I feel like we've just scratched the surface Debbie, but I know we're running down on time. So I'm going to close by asking you for your next edit at the end of each show. I ask for, I usually share, but when it's a guest, I have them share your next edit. It's a super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away, you know, perhaps after they finish listening. So in the context of our conversation today, I would love for you to share your next edit for this episode. I would love to go back to what we talked about earlier with regards to fear. And I would encourage listeners to identify one, just do one fear about the future unknowns that is causing you concern or worry and do one of the things we talked about to loosen its grip, whether that's writing it down and challenging it or reframing it, writing out a different thought, using that word, maybe, mm-hmm. but something to kind of loosen that. And as a bonus, you can even thank that fear for looking out for you. Ooh, it, I love really, that. It's trying to help us. It's doing the best. It's just a bit misguided. So you know, say, thank you. I see you. I've got this. And then show yourself some self-compassion and see if you can reframe it. I love that so much. I talked to an anxiety expert once who referred to anxiety as like your prickly friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's there for a reason. Oh, Debbie, thank you for giving me this time with you on the mic. I so enjoyed it. You are just, um, a delight. And I will be linking up all your things, including your amazing book in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much, Christine. I really am a fan and friend and just grateful to have this conversation with you. Oh, wonderful. Okay, friends, you will find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.